Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but this is a special one because uh, this is the time that we think about the resurrection of our Lord, and um, certainly we should be doing that every Sunday, but but uh, but kind of doubly so this this Sunday. And so we're glad that that you could be here today. Glad that I'm glad that I'm here, and um, we're going to continue our study on on counseling here in this hour. And uh, so let me begin with a word of prayer and ask God's blessing upon our day today. Father, thank you for this time in which we can reflect on your word. And we thank you for the resurrection that is promised to us that although we will face death if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, we recognize that our our, our bodies will be raised to life because Christ was raised from the dead. He guaranteed our conquering of death through his conquering of death and so we can we can be sure that that we can have eternal life through him and so we pray that you would help us to reflect on that and to be ever grateful for the salvation that comes through him alone may you be honored in this hour as we reflect on our responsibility as a congregation to encourage one another and we pray that you'd help us in Jesus name amen let me start with a false assumption Okay, as we continue our uh, thinking on counseling, this is the second of 13 weeks on uh, biblical counseling. And I want to start with a false assumption that Christians make about professional help. Many Christians think that discipleship, um, for example, spiritual growth and the care for Christians is the responsibility of professionals, a professional pastor, maybe a professional counselor, and not the responsibility of the congregation. Okay. So start out right there. Um, there is a young lady who was struggling in a Baptist church out east, and one of the wives in the church was starting to get deeply invested into this woman's life. Now keep in mind that for this wife to get involved in this young woman's life, it was very costly for her and for her family. And so the wife continued to help her and modeled sacrificial living for the sake of the gospel with uh, under the guidance of her husband. And... Uh, she was having this young lady over to her home for meals. And when things would get rough, the wife would, would allow her to stay the night at their house. And at one point, the young lady who was struggling, her, her uh, difficulty became very severe. And so the wife called a Christian psychiatrist who was involved in the whole situation. And the wife asked a basic uh, but pretty straightforward question. It was this. To what extent, she says to the Christian psychiatrist, to what extent should I as a lay person, be involved in this young lady's problems, especially since they're getting fairly severe. And the psychiatrist was quite direct in, in, her, in his response, and he said this, Stay out. Aside from praying for her, leave it to the professionals to take care of her. Is this right? When someone's having a difficult time, should Christians just leave that person alone and let the professionals handle it? I want to argue today that the congregation has a responsibility to disciple and to care for one another with God's Word. That we as members of this local church have a fundamental responsibility to counsel God's Word to each other. As the congregation, we have a responsibility to counsel one another with God's Word. Now, now where do I get that? I think the primary place that we need to go that we derive this idea from is from Ephesians chapter 4. So let's turn there, and then I'm going to have 
some of you read for us some other passages. But we'll start with Ephesians chapter 4. And what we want to see here, or what we ought to see here, based on what Paul is saying, and that the Holy Spirit is teaching us, is that that the way that growth happens is through the local church. That is, the congregation of believers speaking to one another truth. Okay, so let me read beginning in verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11. And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer tossed, uh, we are no longer, excuse me, to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, if we were to take a significant amount of time to go through this passage, we would see that the goal of... of um, of our relationship with one another is to grow to a position to a place of maturity. You see that in verse um, verse 12 for the equipping of the saints. Verse 13 to attain to the unity of the the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. We're looking to build mature Christians. Um, verse 16 the whole body being fitted and held together causes the end of the verse causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So there's the goal. It is building up each other to a place of spiritual maturity. Now, how does that happen? According to verses 11 through 16, how does this happen? Well, in some in 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 some sense it is the the people whom God has called, the pastors and teachers like verse 11 talks about. But the rest of the passage talks about how we each are supposed to be speaking to one another truth in love. Look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Verse 16, the whole body being fitted and held together. So you see, it's not something that's that's uh, exclusive to the pastor, the teacher, the counselor, but it's something that all of us as believers ought to be doing to one another. We ought to be teaching one another. We ought to be speaking the truth to one another in love. And what that's going to do, the result is going to be, verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children. We're no longer uh, immature in our Christian walk, but rather, um, and and we're no longer tossed uh, here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men. So the way that we act comes from the way that we think, right? And if we have wrong doctrine, if if we don't, properly understand what God expects of us, then we're going to act improperly. We're going to live improperly. We live according to what we think. And so um, part of our responsibility as a congregation is to speak truth to one another. Then we're not going to be like those who are tossed in the waves and just, uh, you know, here you hear one idea over here and you bounce from there to there and you just keep bouncing back based on 
different ideas that are thrown out there. Instead, we are uh, firm, more like a rock instead of instead of like a, a floating piece of wood in the in the raging uh, waves. Okay, so it is the congregation's responsibility to speak the truth to one another in love. Let me have some volunteers. I have several verses I want to point out, and these come from. Um, the one another passages. There are many more than what I'm going to list here, but let's let me just have you read some of these. Just raise your hand if you'll help. Okay, Jennifer, John 13, 34, and 35. Are these on here? Yeah. Okay. So Paul, it's on your handout. Romans 12:10, and uh, why don't you do 13:8 as well? And then Bill, Romans 15:7, and Romans 15:14. Romans 15:7 and 14. Someone else. Ken, Ephesians 4, 2, and 32, and Margaret, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. All right. So here, here are some other verses that, that show that it's not just the responsibility of the professionals, so to speak. Uh, it's the responsibility of every single person. That's why the Holy Spirit teaches us to do these things to one another. What's the first one? John 13, 34, and 35. Okay, so what was the command regarding what we're supposed to do to each other? To love. Okay, what's the next one? Romans 12:10. Okay, so there's the same idea, a little bit uh, said a little bit differently, but be devoted to one another in love, and then give preference or give honor, honor um, to one another above yourselves. Treat them as greater than yourself. So there's the responsibility that we have each one to the other. And then Romans 13, 18. All right. Is it? There's not enough verses there. Um, let no debt. Yeah, what's that one? 13, 8. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. So that's the idea of uh, loving again, okay, because you're um, owing nothing to them and you're showing love to them. All right, Romans 15, 7. All right, so just as Christ accepted us, uh, even though we weren't like Him, we were much different from Him, He's willing to... To um, to have a relationship with us, so we are to do the same thing with one another. All right, Romans fifteen fourteen. All right, and the word admonish there is another word for warn. Okay, so in, so warn them. People, if you see somebody heading towards danger. You are mature enough to warn them, show them that that, that the outcome of their um, their their actions are going to lead to destruction. All right, then Ephesians four two. All right, showing tolerance to one another. There's the idea of love again, and then 
Ephesians 4.32. Okay, so so forgiving each other. Here here's a responsibility that each of us has to one another. And then finally, First Thessalonians five eleven. Okay, and this one probably speaks most closely to what I've been talking about, which is that we each have a responsibility to speak the truth to one another in love, like Ephesians four was saying. And that is, that is, it says, encourage one another, build each other up. And you don't do this by just, you know, giving them a nice little nod when you walk past them. You speak truth to them. And, and these passages are speaking to Christians and are, are a general direction, not for church leaders only, but also for all Christians to love one another, to be devoted, to honor, to accept one another, to be patient, to be kind, compassionate, to forgive, and even to encourage, admonish, instruct one another. The Holy Spirit teaches us that making disciples is something that each of us have a responsibility to do. Not something that we hand over to a professional parachurch counselor. Okay, that is apart from the church. Um, there, there are lots of good and faithful Christians doing great work in discipling and counseling, um, and, and they can help people with difficult problems. But, but a lot of these parachurch workers um, is. Um, we, when we hand it over to them, we can wrongly think that it's their responsibility now. It, it's like, um, you know, if we had a problem in our home with our finances and then, you know, we hand it over to someone else, a professional. Now it's their job. We don't have to worry about it. We just pay them, you know, a, a check or something. Instead, we have the responsibility to, to handle this problem, to work through this problem. And, and sometimes what happens is when we go to an outside professional is, is we it, it actually helps us to hide. It it helps us to to um, to avoid the fear of being exposed a little bit. Sometimes what happens is when we have a specific sin issue that we're dealing with, we don't want to talk about it with people who we know. We'd rather go to someone that we don't know, and then that way it kind of kind of stays under the rug, so to speak. And so we'd rather be vulnerable with a counselor in private practice than to open up our lives to people that we see every week at church. Uh, several years ago, a lady left our church because she felt like she was getting too close to the people of this church. And here's a note that she wrote to me. She said, I've begun attending another church which is quite large. It's a place where I can just walk in anonymously, sing, hear a sermon, and walk out quietly. And here's my response to her. I realize that by going to a big church, you will be able to distance yourself from people in a way. But my concern is that very few people will be praying for you. And I think you would agree with me that prayer is one of the things that you need most. Our church has been praying for you, but once you are no longer a member of this church, I'm afraid that the prayers will decrease more and more. Not out of spite, but simply out of lack of contact. We will know less and less about your physical and spiritual condition. We will know little about the conflict and struggles that you are going through. And so the prayers will become more and more generic, and eventually they will cease. Friends, the church is the best context for discipling and counseling one another. We need the local church. And the church should be the normative place for Christians 
and Christian relationships to flourish, for discipleship to happen, for people to be able to work out their problems. We don't go to church just to to get something. You know, we just go there, we get the message, we get the singing that we wanted, and then we leave. We go to build relationships and obviously to worship God, but but in the context of the local church is relationships. Our church covenant speaks to this. Our church covenant speaks to this. Um, there are several lines in it. Uh, you can find in the back of it. You don't have the hymn book with you there, but I'll just read several of the lines and, and uh, you can see this. We also engage to walk together in Christian love to strive for the advancement of the church in, in knowledge, holiness, and comfort to promote its spirituality and prosperity. We further engage to watch over one another. Here's where we get this from these passages in John and and other places. To watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech. We have covenanted ourselves together with this group of believers and we have done so with the understanding that we're going to help out one another. That we're going to come with the mentality that I'm going to to care for each other. I'm I'm going to care for other believers in this body. One thing that I'm trying to encourage our church to do is to create a culture of discipleship. And by culture, I mean that the whole personality of the congregation is one of making and and leading disciples. And, And I'd love to see for every single member to catch that vision. That that each of us has a responsibility to care and to counsel one another with the Word. That we come to church actually seeking to provide for other people. Provide for their spiritual needs. That we come, um, we come to care for other people's needs. In many churches you'll hear the statement that the church is a hospital for sinners. Have you ever heard that before? And, and there is a sense in which, which that is true. But how effective would a hospital be if everyone were laid out on a bed all the time, right? So yes, we should be we should be caring for sinners and and helping people along. But if all of us are laid out on the bed, we're not going to be very effective as a church, are we? Now let me be clear: we are never in a position where we individually are perfectly healthy and where you know we can always uh, be free from spiritual care from other people. But 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 I think we would do ourselves spiritual damage if we thought that we were above the need for help. And I think we do ourselves spiritual damage if we're always coming in to get something fixed and never seeking to help other people. And I would suggest if we're always coming in with a spiritual need, never seeking to help anyone else, then we are spiritually immature. How do we develop this type of culture in our church? Okay, it's not about starting a program. It ought to be something that is ingrained in our church's DNA. So how do, how do we change a culture? How do we uh, improve upon or refine a culture? And I would suggest that, that I am working to do that in several ways. One is by teaching new people who join the church. This is our expectation for you when you come to join the church. And uh, if you haven't sat in that class, that Membership Matters class, it's a six-week class, um, offered it to everyone in the church in in um, 2009, but I, I offer it to everyone every time. So every time that we offer that class to people who are 
prospective members, you're welcome to come and sit in on it. And I think it would be a good thing for you to do. Because in that class, I teach the expectation that we have for new people who are coming into the church. We don't expect you to come in as a consumer. Okay, And you've heard me say that in other settings as well. That, that I think one of our problems, one of the big problems in our churches today is that we have the consumer mentality. That we come in seeking to get all of our needs met. And we have lots of churches that cater to that. So they change their programs and their music and their preaching and everything is catered around the individual. When it should be catered to worship God, and we ought to be coming in with the the mentality that how can I provoke one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10. right? And, um, And so instead of consumers, we need to be providers. And that's one of the things that I emphasize in in that new members class. I also tried to um, move our church to to uh, better understand this this model of, of um, congregational counseling by um, helping other people to to kind of experience the fruit of pouring themselves into other people's lives. What what are the benefits that you could receive if you actually took some time and poured yourself into someone else's life? I also do this by trying to handle the word thoughtfully and carefully and trying to apply it in a way that would help us to see that, that this is something any one of us can do. We can take the word, we can understand the meaning of a passage, and we can apply it to someone else's life and to our own. A centerpiece of this discipleship culture are our members encouraging one another from God's word with the goal of personal holiness. So you as a member have a specific responsibility to counsel the word to one another. And whether you you realize it or not, you are a soldier who sits on the front lines, the front lines of the battle in the discipleship culture. So let me just try to tease this out a little bit with the war analogy. The front line of the battle for our church really is the conversations that take place in your home or over lunch meetings or in the daily conversations that you have with your children or your spouse, with other members, in your Bible study, in your conversations after church, over the phone, or maybe even email. See, all of life involves counseling. And each of these opportunities gives us a chance to counsel the Word to one another. And so if each of us have at least one or two people in our lives that we're investing in with trying to to, to share with them the truth of the Scripture, being willing to understand and to listen to the ugly details of life, to be open and honest with their troubles, to, to hold them accountable, to, to admonish and encouragement, encourage them. If, if each of us have those sorts of things, we will see great steps of progress in our spiritual growth and our holiness. Now, one step back from the front lines of this fight that we're in, are the wise and godly older men and women in the faith who take time to pour themselves into the lives of younger men and women. These are, are kind of like the captains and the generals of the faith that we ought to lean on. People who have had years of experience in the Christian life and with dealing with people, right? And these are the people that, that we should build rich and lasting relationships with. And then to carry the war analogy, one step further, think of the counseling room as the infirmary that sits way back behind the front lines and it's only when people are beaten up, bloody, and and maimed, 
so badly that they can't actually participate in battle properly that they need to be sent back for medical help. Most people only retreat to the counseling room when their problems get too far out of hand and they're at a complete loss. What am I supposed to do? They can no longer tolerate their struggles. And as biblical counselors, we do our best to patch them up and heal them. And then guess what? In the Christian war, they go back out and fight. They go back out on the front lines and, and get back into relationships, start trying to help other people as well as to, to carry their own load, as Paul says in Galatians 6. So it's not about, okay, so, so instead of thinking like, okay, the pinnacle of help is the counselor. That's not it. The pinnacle of help is the front lines of the battle. It's the individual members who are speaking truth into one another. And so every member has a responsibility to counsel one another in this way. All right. Any questions before I ask a question? What if I can't do this? All right. Greg? Yep. Yeah, I can get you a copy of that. We have that on our website as well, but I'd be happy to get a copy for you. Yep. Yeah, that's one of the things we do in that members class is we go through the what we believe as a church, what we ex- you know how how we intend to live. That's our church covenant, and then uh, talk about several other things as well. All right. Well, that sounds like a big responsibility for us. Right? Because now you're thinking about all these deep problems, maybe some of the problems that you've had. Well, I, I don't think anybody else that hasn't, um, you know, that hasn't had a background in this sort of, of, of study could, could help me from the church. So why would I be able to help anybody else when they have deep problems? And so here's a typical response. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. And I have no skills in this area. I mean, what happens if someone asks me about how to deal with depression or marital conflict or guidance questions? You know, who do I marry? What college do I go to? What job do I take? Or sexual temptation or eating disorders? I mean, how am I supposed to help? I don't have skills in this area. But I would suggest to you that if you're a Christian who seeks to live faithfully and to live according to God's Word, that you can help in most every situation. So let's take an example and see if we can we can work through a typical counseling um, a counseling issue that might come up. Suppose you had a fellow church member who met up with you for lunch, and he or she confessed that 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 they were struggling in their marriage, and they wanted someone they wanted someone to help them with their marital conflict. All right, let's let's just take a minute together. And brainstorm, what could you ask? What kind of questions could you ask? What kind of scripture could you bring up? What kind of counseling could you give to them? What would you ask? Bill? Okay. What if what if uh, I responded? I'll play devil's advocate here. What if I responded and say, I love my wife, but I just... I just I can't get past this conflict that we're having. Okay. Well, 
what what more would you need to know about the conflict? What kind of questions? What is the conflict? Okay. What else? Anything else? Other questions might we might we ask someone who's who's going through a marital conflict? Okay. Yeah, so what kind of things are you struggling with spiritually right now? Anything else? Okay. What about specifically about the conflict? What kind of questions will we ask? Yeah, how long has it been going on? What what kind of things happen? Like, tell me a typical situation. Get, just tell me a typical situation when this conflict comes up, right? So then you start to feel a little bit more about what this problem looks like, okay? Now, uh, and, and by the way, questions are the best way to start when it comes to just just working with people. Start with questions because if you automatically jump to the place where you assume that you know what's happening and then start bring, giving a, 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 a prognosis, a diagnosis, and a, I mean, it'd be like a doctor who you just walked in and he's like, all right, here's what you need to do. Like, wait a second, you didn't even ask what my problem was, right? So we need to ask questions and we need to find out what the problem is and then you start using Scripture. So what kind of Scripture would we use if, let's say, that it is a sin conflict? Okay, Then there's the sin conflict that's happening on both sides. What kind of Scripture would we use? Um, what, what kind of Scripture might we point someone who's going through something like this through? Okay. All right, so Ephesians chapter 5. Says husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, be subject to your husband, right? All right, anybody else can can think of another passage of Scripture or principle from Scripture that we might point them to if the conflict is coming from both sides, the sin conflict? What's the model of a marriage? Turn to James chapter 4. Okay, because anytime you're dealing, this is a great passage you can just always turn to um, whenever you're dealing with conflict of any kind. There was a, a pastor in the Chicago area, uh, Mike Bullmore. He's telling a story about a time when he was on a long trip with a friend of his, and he was just really frustrated the pastor, Mike, was really frustrated with his, his marriage at the time. His wife just didn't seem to listen, and, and they just seemed to be at odds with, with one another, and, and there were just some, real, some things that really bothered him. And the friend, 
quietly listened for a long time, asked some questions, and then he brought up this verse as they're driving down the road. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And he goes on. But but the point was, verse 1, why are there quarrels among you? Because you desire to have something and you don't have it. It's something that starts in your heart. That was his point. And Pastor, uh, the pastor there, Pastor Mike, said it, it really just uh, hit right. He's, he's looking for a guy that's just kind of going to sympathize with them and not really give them any encouragement or point them to the truth. He, he's a pastor, right? But, but instead, it, he said he really cut to the heart because he's like, that is me. I, I am waging war with my wife because I have a desire that I can't get something that I want. I want something and I'm not getting it. And um, so, so here is is a place that we can point anyone to. James chapter four. Another place you can go is, um, um, you know, go go to verses that speak of the heart. Go to verses that speak of the motives. Go to um, in, encouraging verses like First Corinthians ten thirteen that says these temptations that you're going through are common to man. Everyone, uh, or not everyone, but lots of people go through the same sort of spiritual battles that you're going through. Okay, so so here we have some just basic things that we can do to point someone who has a marital conflict. We can just start asking questions, and then we can start pointing them to Scripture. And you don't have to have a degree in counseling. You don't have to have... You know, years of experience. Now, obviously, as you get experience, you'll be be better at this. But, but uh, we'll talk about how we can get there here in just a second. I would say that if you're a Christian and you're willing to try, God will God will grow you in this ability. So, how can we how can we get there? Start by asking questions, point them to Scripture, and then just practice. Okay. Now. now there's a difference between being willing to help someone when they're in need of help and meddling. Do you understand the difference? The meddlers are the ones who like to get involved in everyone's business, and they like to give give uh, counsel where where they're not needed or where um, you know where there's no integrity there. So that's not what I'm calling for. Just okay. Now go and find everybody else's business, find out what all their deep, dirty sins are and see if you can speak to them. That's not what I'm calling for. Okay, And I don't think the Scriptures are calling for that either. That's why I said one or two people that that is that perhaps are less mature than you or maybe are as mature or more mature, but they're struggling right now, right? That they're struggling in their Christian life and they need someone that, that is not blinded to the things of life like they are. That's what happens with sin, right? It's self-deceiving and self-destructive. So we walk through life thinking as we're sinning, that, that we're okay and this sin is not a problem. It usually counseling happens when a person comes to a, another person and says, I need help. But sometimes it's just, I'm simply self-deceived. I don't even see my problem. I know what Jonathan was saying. We don't see it from the other side. We don't see it from God's perspective or from the other person's perspective. We're only looking in our little tunnel vision and we need someone else to come and speak truth to us and say, did you ever think about this? What, what about this possibility, right? 
and that's all that's all that it requires. And, and so it's going to going to require practice. And if you're willing to try, then then I would suggest that that you can help. So what happens if if this is beyond what you can do? Okay, because I'm putting a lot of emphasis on uh, being invested in counseling. Um, but what I'm not saying is is that you have to sort through everybody's problems on your own. Okay, that you, if you're the first one to find out about it, you have to follow it through till the end. That's not what I'm saying. Or that you have to deal with with problems of other people without any help. Or I'm not saying that I don't really care about counseling members, so you do that. That's that's you. I, I got other things to do. Don't bother me. That's not what I'm saying either. Or I'm not uh, saying that I expect you to to fix all the problems. God has given us rich blessings by providing uh, for the church under shepherds, pastors, right? Pastors are called by the church and supposed to be godly men who seek to provide counseling and encouragement through public and private proclamation of God's Word. And they're charged the responsibility to feed and to guide people um, much like a shepherd does with his sheep. And so we're fools if we don't take advantage of of the resources that God has has given us. So I want to be clear that, that I want to help. So don't be scared to come to me in times of difficulty. Usually what happens, or more often than not, I, I wish I was involved sooner because sometimes it's too you know um, too embarrassing to bring up and so we, we wait, we let it fester and eventually the, the problem gets worse and worse and then finally come and ask for help and by that time um, you know, the problem's gotten much bigger, could have been handled a little bit easier before. Okay, so, so my point is, is I want to help and I'm willing to help. So when do you turn to a pastor in the midst of helping someone else in their problems? And this just requires wisdom. There's no general guidelines. There's no formula, formula or there, there are general guidelines. There, there's no formula, you know, like once they get to point B, now it's time. Okay, so here, here are some things. First, if you know the person's problem is significant and that no one or, or few others know about it, then you can encourage them to speak with, with someone else. Speak with me. Get permission to talk. Or, or if, if they don't want to speak to me, then maybe you get permission from them to talk to me on their behalf. Okay, so if you know the problem is significant. Secondly, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're dealing with someone else's sin conflict, and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're at a point where you don't know how to handle it. What's the next thing? I, I've gotten them off the ledge, so to speak, but but now there's still some some things that they need to think through. Okay, third, if you're unsure of where to go in the Scripture. Okay, maybe you're, you've kind of thought through the Scripture and you just can't think of any other passages that might speak to their specific issue. Fourth, if you're concerned of a greater physical or spiritual damage. All right, and then next, if you sense that they're out of control with their sin, their their sin has just gotten so far out of control that they need they need to think about this on a more serious level, something that's turned into kind of a spiritual emergency. If you're seeking uh, guidance, maybe you just need to know how to help them to the next step. Um, I just want to say one final thing about, and then, and then kind of wrap this up. And that is, um, I don't have that there. 
but confidentiality. Okay? When you're talking to somebody about their sin problem, sometimes what they're going to ask you to do is to to be um, be confidential with their information. Don't tell anyone. Okay, I'm going to tell you something, and you have to promise to tell no one else. And if they do that, I would suggest to you that you say, "Sir, I can't promise absolute confidentiality." Not because I want to go spread it around to all all these different people, and and certainly do not do that. That does not help someone in reconciling with God. Okay. Instead, tell them, I, I just ask you to trust me that I'm going to seek to do whatever is wise with the information that is given. So if I need to seek someone else and ask for thoughts on this, then I'm going to do that. So I'm not going to promise confidentiality. Um, now, obviously, they may not be willing to tell you their problem at that point, and that's something they're going to have to decide. But but I would suggest to you that, that sometimes... Um, when a person promises confidentiality, they can they can actually do harm to someone who actually needs help. And um, so, uh, so be willing to to uh, to handle other people's problems. Uh, Galatians six talks about carrying other people's load. Okay, Car- help carry their burden of sin or 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 their their weight that they're bearing. And um, so. To kind of follow up on the story that I began with, the the lady from the church in out east, the Baptist church out east, the young lady that was struggling, um, she, you should be encouraged to know that she's doing much better now. The pastor has been very involved in her life, and yet not to the exclusion of the members that were caring for her before. And there are many members who are continually pouring themselves into her life and who have counseled her with the word, and now for several years they have been able to see significant spiritual fruit in her life. So the lady, the the wife who took that responsibility upon herself to help that young lady work through her sins was actually a good thing. And and when it became too too difficult, too far out of hand for her, then that's when she went and asked some help from the pastor, and then. Um, even after that, she didn't just hand it off to him and say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not doing anything else. Uh, instead, she continued to invest her life into this young lady. And I think that's a good example of what the, the Bible commends for how we handle sin problems within our church. So a couple things in closing. Congregation bears responsibility to build one another up, Ephesians 4 and the one another passages. As we work at this responsibility, we'll grow in our ability to help one another. So if we are willing to work, then we'll see that we'll get better at this. And then when appropriate, seek the help of of the pastor and uh, at the same time be willing to continue on and invest your life in that person. All right? Any thoughts or questions, comments? Bill?
Yeah, and that's and there is a balance that we have to that we have to make there um, between you know our own personal integrity, um, being able to handle our sin, but also being able to help. We we do have responsibility because there is a command there to speak the truth to one another in love. And if we can never do that, then we can't obey that command. And I don't think Christ would give us a command that we can't obey. So we can do it, and we need to be doing it. So. Um, so we got to figure out where that balance is. Ken, did you have? Yeah. Yeah, with the bad influence. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. All right. Good. All right, we'll continue in two weeks. Uh, Ken Whitworth will be teaching next week, so look forward to to his ministry. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for this Resurrection Sunday in which we can reflect more fully on Christ and what he has done for us. He has uh, conquered death and no longer do we have to fear the sting of death because we are promised eternal life through Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's nothing that we have done, but according to your mercy that you saved us. Help us to walk with you and to be willing to help others to do the same. In Jesus' name.